Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast, a podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Till Luca. Welcome, welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. Practitioner. And welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast, where Books of Discovery has been a part of the massage therapy and bodywork world for over 25 years. Nearly 3,000 schools around the globe teach with their textbooks, e-textbooks, and digital resources. Books of Discovery likes to say that learning adventures start here, and they find that same spirit here on the Thinking Practitioner podcast and are proud to support our work, knowing that we share the mission to bring the massage and bodywork community thought-provoking and enlivening content that advances our profession. Instructors of manual therapy education programs can request complimentary copies of Books of Discovery textbooks to review for use in their programs, so please reach out at booksofdiscovery.com, and listeners can explore their collection of learning resources for anatomy, pathology, kinesiology, physiology, ethics, and business mastery at booksofdiscovery.com, where Thinking Practitioner listeners can save 15% by entering Thinking at checkout. Till is off this week, and I am joined by my friend Rajam Roos, who is the CEO of the San Diego Pain Summit. So welcome to the Thinking Practitioner podcast. Great to have you here. Thanks so much for having me, Whitney. I appreciate it. So for um, people who might not know a little bit about the summit, we're going to get into that in a little bit, but I want to uh, start off with a little bit about your background in terms of how you got going with the summit, and then we'll sort of venture into what it actually is. But you have a really fascinating background of um, your work prior to, to uh, getting going with this. So tell us a little bit about how you got into this. Yeah, so um, I joined the, I graduated from massage school in 1999 and became a massage therapist. Um, initially I was just going to work and save up enough money and get a sailboat and go continue my traveling around the world. But, um, you had also done like a crazy hitchhiking trip at some point too, hadn't you? Or, or just yeah, like there's, something like that. There's actually a book, uh, Travels with a Road Dog. It's on Amazon. I wrote a book about the four year journey, but, um, I had settled and I was interested in massage because I thought, Hey, there's something I could do to contribute to society. Uh, that won't make me feel unhappy and I can save up money and get a sailboat, go keep on traveling. And then as I, as I entered the profession and I started working with people and seeing how massage was helping uh, reduce their pain or helping them manage their pain, I became really interested in like, how is this working? Like how, what's going on here? And nothing in school that I learned in school, um, really was a satisfying answer to me because when I grew up, I, you know, I used to think about, I was kind of a rebellious kid, but I used to press my finger in the meat packets at the meat department. You know, you push your finger into it. (laughs) And I was like thinking of that. And I was like, well, I'm just basically pressing tissue. How am I helping their pain? Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, you see people come in and they're like so uptight. And then after so many months, they're like relaxed and their tissues are soft. So it was very interesting to me. And I I guess it kicked off reading the book, um, The Brain That Changes Itself by Norman Doidge. Mm -hmm. And I read that and I was like, okay. And then I started reading more about the nervous system and the brain, which we don't, at least in my day, we did not learn about that in massage therapy school. Yeah. Um, And then of course, you know, I'd got certified with your program, which was, you know, one of the best programs I thought Mm. at the time, a little plug for you. All right. Um, I appreciate that. (laughs) So I started getting more into like, you know, the nervous system and, you know, what pain is and how, and I started learning that about how it was 
it wasn't so much what I was doing. It was basically everything else around it. So the consistency I had in my practice, the professionalism, the um, always letting clients know what I was about to do before I did it. Even if they had been coming in for years, I was always, you know, letting them, there was no surprises, um, keeping a rhythmic flow, like all those things are what, when you look at the therapeutic alliance and creating trust, um, and, and the person feeling heard, those are the things that really can help reduce pain. So, mm -hmm. um, so then I started, you know, I didn't want to do massage indefinitely. Of course I had missed my chance to get a sailboat because by then I was married and happily. So, <laughs> um, and, uh, I thought, well, maybe I can organize continuing education classes. And so I started doing that. And it was in one of those classes that the instructor during the break was talking to the um, learners. And he was like, are you guys even learning like about Patrick Wall or anything about Mosley or, you know, Melzac in your school? And they were like, yeah, but we don't know what to do with it. And that's mm -hmm. when I got the real the idea for the summit. I was like, you know what? A conference is like a workshop, right? It's just bigger. Surely I can do that. <laughs> so that's what, that's how that, um, you know. I have to say, you know, I have always found this just so impressive about you, this can-do attitude of like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll just go start organizing continuing education workshops or I'll just start a conference, you know, and do it. <laughs> I really, uh, I think that's just so impressive, the way that you've just taken the bull by the horns and just decided this needs to be done and I'm going to do it, you know, so I think that's inspirational for a lot of people. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. So that led to your starting the summit and the summit, you know, I, for those people who don't know, I'm, I'm going to have you talk a little bit about it, but this has become a very significant event with people coming from all over the world, both participants and presenters. Um, and I just think it's, uh, I just want to say that I think it's phenomenal that you did this as a massage therapist without a background in event organization and, and, you know, with all kinds of um, you know, connections and things that people usually have to have. And then you've handled most of this stuff just by yourself. I think it's it's really impressive. So tell us a little bit about like what the, the summit is about and who comes to it and, and uh, you know, what we get out of that. Yes, yeah, so I really wanted to um, talk about more about the things that you don't hear about at conferences or at pain conferences. I didn't really want to get into techniques or formulas or anything because there's plenty of, there's so many conferences out there that continuing our, that we can get more education in manual techniques or therapeutic techniques or however. So I wanted to do something different. And one of the things I was finding was missing was conversations about the power differential between the clinician and the practitioner. In fact, one of the very first talks was about how to give your patient the space to talk about their pain. Um, so these are things that I felt were missing from a lot of discussions. And so those are the type of talks I started bringing in. And then it was about 2018 or 17 or 18. I can't remember. One of the speakers asked room, you know, how many of you have heard of social determinants of pain? And half and less than half the room raised their hand. And so at that point, I was like, okay, I'm going to do more specific social determinants of pain. And so I started, you know, focusing more on that. And, um, and so there's a lot of things like about communication and, and understanding where your patient's point of view. And these are just things that I have, when I've gone to other conferences, 
there's still a lot more biomedically, um, you know, there's, you just don't see a lot of that information there. And then again, because it's just myself running everything, I don't have to worry about um, making people upset. I can have topics that a lot of events shy away from because they can be seen as controversial, but they're extremely important topics. And so I tend to, I have had help with finding speakers. Um, one of my friends used to be a headhunter for speakers at the combined sections meeting for the American Physical Therapy Association. And then occasionally someone who's spoken at a prior event will contact me and say, hey, you need to have this person. And because I trust that they know what my event is about and they've been there, I trust who they who they recommend to me. So that's right. that's typically how I found speakers. The speakers for this year, I found, um, I helped out at a friend's booth at the um, International Association for the Pain Conference in Toronto a couple years ago. And it was basically, you know, that's where I poached half my speakers because I would run into former speakers and they would see someone walk by and they'd be like, oh, you got to get that guy right there. So uh -huh. I'm like, okay, yeah. done. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> and the audience is mostly, I, I like it to be interdisciplinary because I think, um, I think people from different professional back clinical backgrounds work that help the patient better. And I, and I know there's a paper about that, that demonstrates that the patient actually gets better if they have a more interdisciplinary team. Mm -hmm. And then also I wanted like, and I've had several PTs come up to me and say this over the years, because so many massage therapists in particular from British Columbia come, they'll say, I had no idea massage therapists were interested in this kind of information. When I go back to my hometown, I think I'm going to look, I'm going to look up and see if I can find anybody, you know, so having these different clinic um, professional backgrounds get together, they see, Hey, this group would work really well with what I do. So that was the point of that. Um, it does tend to attract the most physical therapist. And to be honest, that's just because the physical therapy, the application for continuing education for physical therapists is very, it's the cheapest mm -hmm. of all the professions. So it ranges yeah. from theirs, which is like $200 um, a year, used to be 125 but you know, as the years go by, uh, to 6000 And then I was just able to offer um, continuing education for occupational therapists in the state of California because that that fee was only $75. So because when you pay the, you know, a lot of people don't realize you have to pay a fee to complete the form. It doesn't guarantee that you're going to get approved. So you have to, when you fill it out and you pay the money, you have to think, well, that could be a lost money right there. I may not get anything from that. Yeah. Um, so that's why I tend to attract more PTs. It's, I, you know, I'm a bit sore about it because I think that Sometimes I feel like it's a bit of a racket that, you know, these groups are going to charge five hundred to six thousand dollars a year for the application. And I don't understand what the money's for. And it's limiting. It's just very limiting. It's it, it prevent it keeps us in our silos, as yeah. one of my um friends mentioned. Um, because like for example, I know a few years ago, I don't know about right now, but I know a few years ago. For example, nursing, you couldn't offer CEU unless all the speakers had a nursing degree. Oh, really? And so, oh. yeah, yeah. And so that, so really what that does is it prevents nurses from being able to learn from people outside their own organization that may have something very important. Um, so I wish that wasn't an issue, but um, I do get mostly physical therapists and then I get like 25%, so like 60% PTs, 20 
25% massage therapists and the rest, I get like a smattering of like chiropractors, personal trainers, mm-hmm. um, yoga practitioners. I've had um, acupuncturists, uh, athletic trainers, physicians occasionally, and psychologists occasionally. Yeah. I, you know, I want to go back to the silo thing for just a second. And I was you know, it's interesting to hear that perspective too about the different uh, requirements for being able to do that. You know, it seems to me that a lot of the um, a lot of the thrust of of the research and a lot of the at least the discussion on social media around pain science concepts has been very active in the physiotherapy community and not as active in a lot of those other professions as well. And I was wondering if that might have been a factor of making a greater percentage of those people really interested in what was happening there too. So, I mean, that um, may or may not have been in some, but that's just a perception, it seems like. So, uh, Well, physical therapists are, um, well, I don't know about right now since Musk took over Twitter, but um, from a social media marketing perspective, you know, you want to be where your audience is. And, you know, when it was Twitter, um, it a lot of physical therapists and research scientists were on Twitter. So that's yeah. where that audience happens to be. Yeah. Um, massage therapists tended to be more on like Pinterest and uh, Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think it may have a lot to do with like what, what platform you're looking at as opposed to who's really talking about pain, because yeah. I know, um, in the massage therapy groups, Facebook groups, there's been discussions on, around pain and pain science. Yeah, yeah. And back to the silo thing for a second, because this is one of the things that I think that you did so exceptionally well with this conference. And you mentioned this to me one time before, just this was a little thing. And I noticed it when I went to the summit too, that you, uh, what might seem like even a real simple thing, but you know, with the name tags that you gave people, you didn't put their profession on their name tags in order to kind of, uh, level the playing field. It seemed like with everybody was that that was a, an intentional move there in doing that. Yeah. So there's like two sides to this story. There's mm-hmm. always the true story, and then there's like what That's the right. story turns into. Yeah. And the the true story is that when I came up with when I thought about organizing this conference, which was back in January of 2014, um, the I was like, well, I don't know anything about doing a conference, so let me let me look at what people's biggest complaints are about attending conferences, and then not do that. So I gotta yeah, I gotta interrupt there. you from how did you find out what those complaints are? You know, like I, mean, I Googled why do conferences suck? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or like or like why why are conferences boring? Why do conferences suck? Why was this conference a shit show? You know, stuff like that. And, That's and great. I didn't really <laughs> I didn't find anything like specific. Like there were so many answers there was nothing across the board but the one thing i found that several people had commented on from different angles perspectives i guess was um the names on the name tag being too small to read because of all the crap on there so because of all the ribbons stuck on there or because all the letters and the place and so people were like you know it's really embarrassing when you just meet somebody you're holding your plate and you don't want them seeing your eyes like rereading their name to try and see it with all that lettering and all the letters. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put the name. Um, I put the first name kind of big and then the last name is a little smaller. Um, But then what happened because of that? So that way you could see the name from further away or you can like kind of side eye 
and still read it because it doesn't have all the other crap on there. But then that conference, which was in 2015, I had a woman come up to me and she was like, I'm so glad you didn't put all the designations and where people are from on the name name tags. Because she was like, I was sitting next to the head of the Mayo Clinic in Texas or somebody. And she was like, if I had known that that was his position, mm-hmm. I would have been too nervous to talk to him. And they ended up talking and like, yeah having great discussions and it wasn't until they were into it that she learned. And then by then she was comfortable with him, but um, I was like, Hey, okay. So that's the new reason, the yeah. new reason now. <laughs> well, I had one of those too. Yeah. yeah. I had one of those. I was having lunch with um, a, a group of people at a table during one of the, the afternoons at, at the summit presentations and was talking to this gentleman that was just uh, you know, very inquisitive about what was going on with massage therapy. And like, I found out, I didn't even know what his position was. And he was a, a major pain science researcher. And again, had been very surprised to understand how interested that we were as clinicians in a lot of the stuff that they were doing with their research. And he was, you know, speaking about, how many different people were there representing all these different professions. And he said, I think what you guys are doing in the massage and manual therapy world is so incredible with addressing the whole biopsychosocial framework in all these different capacities. You just have a tremendous capability to make a difference for people. And uh, yeah, I was, what... yeah, I really just thought that was, I was so impressed and and he just was, uh, you know, very inquisitive. And I, I learned so much from him and like later on, found out who he was. I was like, I don't know if I would have gotten into all that, you know, if I had known. So Yeah. And that's the thing. A, a good friend of mine told me once many, many years ago when it was before I started this summit actually. And I thought, and I was kind of, you know, I was, had joined this, um, it was before Facebook. So I joined this online forum and I was mentioning to my friend, I'm like, yeah, I don't know if it's worth it. You know, I'm just a lowly massage therapist and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, He's like, you know what? He said, massage therapists actually have the greatest freedom of other clinicians to to um, take the time to listen to their client, to to really give advice, to like give suggestions and lifestyle changes and stuff like that that would not be out of our scope that we have time to do because we're paying attention to the client. So when he told me, that, I was like, yeah, actually, we do have a lot. We have that. It's a unique space that massage therapists have. I yeah. Think. Yeah. And I, you know, I've said that to, to students a lot over the years. And the other part of that is with that great freedom and capability comes great responsibility. And we need to recognize that also. That means that we really need to beef up what we're doing and make sure that we're um, up to the task of what that really allows us. So I'm going to go to a, a couple other things here with, with the summit itself and some of its structure. Uh, again, this is just sort of mind-boggling to me, knowing this. But you know, knowing that you have run this thing almost single-handedly by yourself for for how many years now has it been going on? It's been when, when was the first it's, one? So this this year will be the tenth year. This is the tenth year, but it's the eleventh conference. Yeah, because during the when the pandemic started, I actually had an extra one online. So I had done twenty twenty in person. Yeah. And then I moved, I did a 2020 online too. So it's uh-huh. actually the 11th conf summit, but it's the 10th year. Yeah. So um, again, that's just, it's, it's so impressive to me. And I'm curious to know, like what have been some of the most um, impactful learning experiences for you out of that process? I'm sure you've learned a tremendous amount, not only from the participants and the speakers, but just 
about the whole process. And so like what sticks out as some of the key key things that you really grabbed from that? Yeah, I, well, I think the very first thing was having a better understanding as to why massage was so helpful with my clients who were in pain, because I didn't know about all that stuff about therapeutic alliance and all that until I had speakers, researchers coming and talking about it. So over the years, I've heard people talk and I'm like, oh, that makes sense why that seemed to be so helpful. So, so there were a lot of revelations there. And then, of course, now, since it's been a while, I closed my business in 2015. So it's been a while since I've had it. Um, now it's more about things like seeing how important community is and how how people want to work together and they want to collaborate. They just need the space to be able to do that in. Mm -hmm. And so um, and then also uh, last year. So there was an a, event that used to be at combined sections meeting for the American Physical Therapy Association called PT After Dark. And it was a place where you had like really discussions about anti-racism, anti-bias in healthcare and that sort of thing. Well, they decided to, to have it at the San Diego Pain Summit. So we had it last year and it was just so interesting. Um, the topic I think was anti, you know, being anti-racist and how, mm -hmm. what we can do as clinicians who are white um, can do better in making our practice, you know, more inclusive. And it was so interesting because the conversation got like heated, like people were sharing some really heavy things, mm -hmm. but I was, I was kind of watching from, you know, the end of the tables, a big table, there were about 20, 30 people. And right when it got super heated, everybody leaned in. And I was just like, whoa, <laughs> that is amazing. Like, it is possible to create these spaces where we can have these great discussions. And so that's been something really cool um, that I've learned, too. And then there's things that I've learned that are like, well, if I had gotten a degree in event planning, I would have known that years ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I learned some things you learn the hard way, and it's not pleasant. Yeah. But I think it's okay as long as you don't keep repeating the same. Yeah, it is. Well, you know, throughout all that, you have certainly been able to um, conjure up a reputation for putting together a great event because that's that's the reputation that is out there that is that this is a great event. And you know, having been there and and really reaped that, I, I certainly would agree. So, kudos to you again for for pulling that off. So thanks, Whitney. That's yeah. really nice. So let me go back to a moment. Uh, I want to talk some more about the the sort of interdisciplinary nature of this. Um, what I I would love to see greater, you know, things going beyond the the borders of just this kind of conference and finding other ways that we could, you know, enhance communication between all these different professions. We're all trying to help people. You know, that's really our goal. We're all trying to do something to help people. But it seems like we do get locked into these uh, borders and barriers and silos and things like that so often. But, you know, have, has anything come up for you as a result of doing this that you thought like, hey, this is a great idea of a way that we could expand this beyond the summit and, and help some of these, you know, professions talk to each other more, have a, a little bit more communication? Yeah, it's something I've, that I would like to do. But the plus side of me doing everything myself is that I make decisions quickly. I can do 
pretty much what I want, not have to worry about. But then the da- the biggest downside is that I don't have anyone to bounce ideas off of. And yeah. so it's very difficult if you don't have a team to come up with these ideas of how you can expand this reach or this growth or however. Um, another limiting factor is that I am, you know, I ironically cannot afford the paperwork to be a nonprofit. So I am a for-profit, even though I don't make a profit, I have not paid myself ever. I mm-hmm. think I've been able to pay myself like, you know, $10,000 one time. Mm-hmm. That's it. For all the years of all the work that I put into this. So I got, um, I mean, I got to ask, like, why do you do this? Like what, what's in it for you? What's, is this, is this just a, a passion of, of, of doing this? You know, what, what, what allows you to keep doing this and keep doing it at this level? Because I mean, you get world-class presenters and, you know, just incredible people well, coming from everywhere. it helps to live in San Diego, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's to true. In, in February, Diego, bringing February. people to San Diego in February, that's, that helps. I think yeah. that's like the biggest key, to be honest. Yeah. Um, another is that I, tr- I respect my speakers and I treat them well. So mm-hmm. I reimburse either pay them or that, or I at least reimburse their flight and their lodging mm-hmm. so that, so they're honored for their time because I know it takes a lot of time to present. I've taught courses before, so I know all the hard work that goes into it. Um, so I think that's one reason why I'm able to get some of these speakers. Um, and I just lost the conversation, whatever that first question yeah. was. Yeah. No, we're just looking at, you know, ways that we can try to get each other, you know, talking oh, yeah. some so, more. So Yeah, and some and there's a lot of nonprofits. They won't they don't want to talk to you unless you're a nonprofit. So whatever policy, whatever reason they have, I'm sure there's a reason they have that policy in place because there's always a reason why the people add policies. Yeah. Um, but it's been tough just because um of that and then also you know there's a lot i mean to be honest there's a lot of um a lot of backstories and drama and all kinds of things that go on in a lot of organizations that are just i think that in itself prevents a lot of things so right i, I was meeting with a friend and she was telling me about her organization was which is in a different country <clears throat> and how she worked for this organization and yet there's like a lot of money's getting siphoned off mm. somewhere yeah. within the organization. You know what I mean? So you're having to deal with that human nature of being dishonest, disloyal in it for yourself. So I think that prevents a lot of lot of growth and and connecting too. But I but I honestly I'd say the biggest issue is just that it's just me. I don't have anybody to bounce ideas off about how to go about um doing more cuz I'd love to do more and have a a better, a bigger effect, but yeah. I just, you know, yeah. And I'm able to do all this because, oh, sorry, just to add, is because um, my husband makes enough. You know, he's a history professor, so he makes enough income to support us. Our property was from his family, so we're not, we don't have a mortgage or any of that stuff, and we don't really spend a lot of money, do a lot of big things. We're pretty low key, mm-hmm. um, so I don't really have to. I'm not in a position where I have to, to make a living. Um, But I am also very passionate about this information, especially when I attend other events and hear people complaining about how it's all too biomedical and, or I've, or I've seen people attend events uh, last year and somebody was tweeting about how, Oh my God, they had a talk on the social determinants of pain. And I'm like, 
I've been doing that since 2015. (laughs) (laughs) So I think the summit's still pretty small on the radar for a lot of things, I think. Yeah. So, you know, because you're not necessarily doing a lot of clinical work yourself any longer, do you still find yourself captivated and interested in the topics of the things that that come up around these things? Like you've mentioned several different things that, that that you've learned and brought in speakers about. Has there been anything that like really juiced you also about the topics of what people have talked about? Yeah. So how I, uh, how I really choose like the topics for the following year is during um, the event, I'm so busy. I don't have time really to listen to talks, but mm-hmm. what I like to do is walk around and have my, have one ear for anyone who's trying to talk to me directly and the other year is listening. And I like to listen to the questions and thoughts people have about the talks that they're hearing. Yeah. And so I, so I'll take that information. I'll be like, wow, a lot of people sure had a lot of questions about this. Like for example, back in before 2016, I was seeing a lot of arguments online about placebo and Mm. was it helpful to, to have placebo or was it, you know, ethical and this and that. And so that that's why I got, Dr. Fabrizio Benedetti, who at the time was like the foremost researcher in placebo. I mean, his books on placebo are just excellent. Um, and that's why I got him because there, so if I, so I find people by like looking at our arguments online or hearing what people are saying at the event. Um, there have been some talks again, I don't honestly get to hear them until after the event is over usually. And then I'll watch the recordings, um, and there's bits and pieces here where I'm just like, huh, like, for example, um, Avania Akarian's talk in 2018, I think, where he talked about the processes of when acute pain turns into chronic pain and how that looks, you know, within the brain, um, which, of course, when you're looking at things going on in the brain, it's like a conundrum because you're like, well, is it changed because that's what changes it or is the change, you know, you don't know what the result, you don't know why it's doing what it's doing, but he's talking about the diff, like when something's transpired into chronic pain, you can see it by how the brain is functioning as opposed to when it's in acute pain. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, you know, a lot of just incredible frontiers of places that I think we're going and going to continue to learn a great deal more as we as we move through the, the future with it. Well, I want to also go back for a second and and talk about some of the resources that you've made available through the incredible people that you have had um, on your roster of of these different presentations. Now, you you keep a library, if I'm not mistaken, of previous talks and things like that on your website. Is that right? And those are also accessible to people for from previous um, from uh, previous summits? Yeah. So I used to um, use it as a way to help fund the conference was um, I had like a, you pay a, uh, an, a fee, a, a membership or whatever. And then as more recordings were added, it became too expensive. Anyway, I've just gone through all these different ways of doing it. And then finally, when the pandemic hit, uh, nobody could really afford to access the talks. And I was and I was becoming frustrated because it, from my perspective, I really want this information to get out there and it's not going to get out there if it's behind a paywall. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to make it off. So it's all free on the YouTube channel. You can watch the talks from 2015 to 2023. However, what I do now is 
Um, so the, when the 2024 talks are uploaded as recordings, people have a very short window to purchase those. And then you can't purchase them anymore. You can't view them unless you've prepaid, already purchased them. And then if you wait till the end of the year, I'll release those free on YouTube. Yeah. So I, I And I get just... permission from the speakers, you know. Yeah. I Some talks aren't up there, and that's because the speaker has asked for me not to put it up there. Yeah. But I, I want everybody to kind of like take that in for just a moment, how generous that is of you in doing that and how, what an incredible resource this is of that many talks over all of those years being available there on that YouTube channel. That's just, again, a phenomenal amount of of incredible information that's out there for people to to use and, and expand their horizons of their understanding of, of pain from lots of different perspectives. So, uh, And that is, I'm assuming the San Diego Pain Summit is the name of the YouTube channel where people can find mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yeah, just youtube.com backslash San Diego Pain Summit, or yeah. just go to my website. Um, it's at the in the top part of the website, too. Yeah, great. Well, we have one coming up here soon. The San Diego Pain Summit is always held in the wintertime slash early spring, and the next one is coming up pretty soon, right? When is the next one coming down the pike? It's uh, March 1 through 3. And this is um, going to be different setup than prior events. Um, I used to have uh, four days of pre-conference workshops and then the two days conference. And I've done away with all the workshops and now it's just three days. <clears throat> People can sign up for all three days or just two days. And the first day is a Friday and that's going to consist of three really interactive discussion sessions. So three sessions that are about two and a half to three hours long. Um, and then we're going to have a break where uh, Daria Aller, who's a, a doctor, physical therapist, and athletic trainer, she's going to lead a burlesque <laughs> burlesque dance class just for midday if anyone wants oh, cool. to stick around uh -huh. for that. And then the, the Saturday and Sunday are the typical talks, you know, 45-minute, 15-minute <clears throat> Q&A uh, with the breaks in the middle. Mm-hmm. So we did um, an episode, our last episode, in fact, was a, an interview with Lorimer Mosley, who I know was, he was at your very first one, right? Um, it was like, you got the the keynote speaker, you know, like <laughs> uh, top of the list of people that would probably, you'd like to have there for that very first one. Is that, and that was, the, that was the very first summit you did, right? Yeah. So when I, when the idea hit me to have it, because I had already like observed and been involved in discussions with, with other clinicians on this forum, it was called Soma Simple. I instantly knew who I wanted to be on the stage. Like I already had like instantly, I was like, oh, I want that person, that person, that person, because of the things I have read yeah. that I thought would be important to give their um, voice, like put their voice on stage. Mm -hmm. But I knew that nobody would probably be interested because at the time I was just a nobody. I mean, I wasn't involved with an organization. I had no prior experience doing an event. Um, <clears throat> so I knew that I had to get a big name. And the best one I could think of was Lorimer Mosley. So I had written him and he wrote back and th he thought that was a great idea. And he's like, well, when is it? And I said, well, it's whenever you could come <laughs> Because he was like the, the cornerstone, yeah. you know, so, um, or the keystone, actually, sorry. Yeah. Um, and so he said he could come February. So that's why the first one was in February. Yeah. Um, but then I realized by having that, I realized how cheap it is to visit San Diego in February. Now, this one is going to be at the beginning of March. It's mm -hmm. March 1 through 3rd. So it's a little different, but... <clears throat> 
San Diego is a tourist city and January through February is very slow tourist season here. So hotels are the cheapest, flights Right. into Mm the -hmm. city or the cheapest. There's more deals. Rest. I mean, everything is cheaper. Like the hotel that I have this event in, um, you know, I get a room discount of um, 200 a night for the attendee or just under 200 a night. By August, these rooms are $600 a night. Oh, wow. Huh. Yeah, I mean, it's just, and I real and when I and that and when I realized that when um I was looking at flights and stuff for my speakers, I was like, you know what? I think I'm gonna have it in February every year. <laughs> I mean, it's still expensive for a lot of people. I'm I'm not gonna. I mean, I understand that, but if you if you compare it to any other time of the year, it's gonna be the cheapest. Yeah. So one of the things that that Laura Mosley had said in our our podcast interview with him, we he had talked about sort of moving through several different evolutionary stages of of pain science education. And I'm I'm wondering if you have seen trends or changes of any significance over the course of the time that you've been doing the summit um, that, you know, are really relevant for people on a clinical basis doing these things that they're doing in the treatment room with their, with their clients and patients. That is a really good question, but I can't, I don't think, I can't answer it right away because, because I'm so involved on the back end of this event. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. my focus is more, I don't have a lot of attention on how things have changed. I, it would be some, I could probably answer if I like could review information and look at things and, and that sort of thing. But um, I am seeing a lot more interest in person-centered care, Mm -hmm. you know, Yeah. um communicating with listening to the patient so for example on <clears throat> friday at this one one of the discussion sessions is going to be and role playing is going to be how to validate your patient's pain so you know cuz that's everything if Yeah. if if somebody feels like they're being listened to and that they're being believed i mean that's like you're over halfway there in their pain Mm. Yep. management program <clears throat> Right. So, uh, well, that's absolutely wonderful. And again, I'm just uh, so, so continually impressed by what you've done with this event and all the other adventures that you've been through. And I want to encourage anybody who has never been there to go check that out. It's, it's a wonderful event. Um, and how can people find out about the summit details and all that kind of stuff? I think you mentioned the website before, but let's um, have it up there again. Let, it, let us know where people can find out more about it. Yeah, so just go to San Diego Pain Summit.com and you can see the agenda, uh, the schedule of events, um, you know, the sign up. We still have some seats. In person seating is limited because the venue space is kind of small, uh, but I've been live streaming it every year and I get a lot of good feedback on the live stream because you can um you can chat with other online viewers, you can You participate in Q and A's. I have my MC specifically pull questions from online viewers so they can, you know, communicate with the speakers, um, and they get the recordings after. So that's so that's always been an option. Or you can just pay for the recordings if you can't make the live stream, and then um, you know have access to those indefinitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those are a wide variety of different choices of how people can get to that content. But again, I would also say there is no substitute for the, the being there in person and having those conversations and meeting up with people and talking with folks who are looking at things from different perspectives. That's just a wonderful um, aspect of that event. So Uh, again, thank you so much for all that you have done over the years of producing this event, putting it together and, and making a, a great contribution to 
helping people in pain all over the place. So we Thank appreciate it. Thank you so it. much, Whitney. I yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, good. Well, thanks for joining us here today. And uh, do remember, again, the Thinking Practitioner podcast is supported by ABMP, Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals. ABMP membership gives professional practitioners like you a package, including individual liability insurance, free continuing education, and quick reference apps, online scheduling, and payments with PocketSuite, and much more. ABMP's CE courses, podcast, and the Massage and Bodywork magazine always feature expert voices and new perspectives in the profession, including from Till and myself. Thinking practitioner listeners can save on joining ABMP at abmp.com forward slash thinking. So thank you again to the listeners for hanging out with us uh, here again today and also to all of our sponsors. You can stop by our sites for the video, show notes, transcripts, and any extras. You can find that over on my site at academyofclinicalmassage.com and also over on Till's site at advanced-trainings.com. If you've got any comments, questions, or things you'd like to hear us talk about, just record a, a short voice memo on your phone and email it to us or send us an email directly at info at the thinking practitioner dot com or look for us on social media under our names you can find me under mine whitney Lowe, and also till luca for him as well on social media and if you will take a moment to rate us on apple Podcasts, as it does help other people find the show and you can hear us on spotify stitcher podbean or wherever else you happen to listen so please do share the word tell a friend and rashawn thank you again so much for being here with me and we'll see you in the next one thanks whitney thank you so much mm-hmm. <laughs>